Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast, episode 15, Austin Nasso here. In this episode, we conclude my interview with Emmett Montgomery. It's the second part. We talk about coming up with characters in comedy, why to watch drag and professional wrestling, how to make comedy happen despite whatever circumstances you may face in your day-to-day life, having a beloved elderly chihuahua, and Emmett's experience on Last Comic Standing. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this extremely insightful interview. Yeah, I know we're kind of going a bit over it. Is yeah. it okay if I ask you like, yeah, more questions? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So I love that you do so much character work and just like as one specific thing of the many things you do. Just wondering what's your process like for like coming up with a new character and then like performing it on stage um so uh well so sugar plum gary is is pretty much question and answer right now you know and he has been and i'm I'm, i've been doing him that way for five years um and the way he operates is that i have kind of a rules of operation for him uh i believe that comedy is best when it comes from an honest place, even if it's not true, you still want to believe it, right? So when you're doing a character, you want that character to believe everything they're saying, right? Yeah. But the way to find out what the character believes is to really kind of figure out what his what his yeses and what his nos are. You know, what what are his nevers? Yeah. And like what are the always? And you know, and just and then and then a lot of times if you're in a space where you can play around with the character, you will learn some stuff. There's also, um, sometimes you want to present, I mean, it's always good, you know, you tell a story, like this is my origin, or this is what I believe about this. One of my favorite things, uh, during the year of, of the election, um, one election year, I was, uh, Sugar Plum Gary was running for president um, under the banner of the Christmas party, and he, uh, he was like, I hope I have your vote this December, you know. That's awesome. A big part of also, I mean, figuring out the voice. We talked a little bit about that too because you've been doing. Oh, yeah. And and you, and I, I know you can figure out a way to sustain that. I was doing people. a Tony Robbins impression and, and just killing my throat. It was great. Wow, yeah, wow, yeah, keep me going. Yeah. <laughs> We're dying. But I think there's a way to make that work. Um but figuring out like a voice, figuring out what makes the character the character. So, you know, for me with Sugar Plum, it is footy pajamas. But you can do characters just by body language or by, you know. Of course. I used to do this this real I would I would just put my I'd be ponytail Dave. Um and it was me in a ponytail. <laughs> um he was kind of a male feminist, you know, kind of a bro dude. Um, That's awesome. You know, so just, just find find that like kind of place where that character lives. Um, but I really, I mean, but it's it's by having that character come from a sincere place. I used to stand up as a unicorn uh, named Moon Dancer. And I stopped doing stand-up and, and as a unicorn um, because I was, 
I got too fat for that unicorn suit. <laughs> oh my god! And it just hung, hung in my, uh, hung in my closet. I do Santa now, you know, or a Santa adjacent character. So you look like a. Ver- I was thinking like when I first met you, I'm like you look like a very young Santa. Yeah, you're like a cool Santa living in Seattle, yeah. like in his off season. Which you know, somebody <laughs> That's so funny. somebody brought that up uh, because you know I make puppets and, and and paper toys and stuff that like uh, that I I am a young Santa. I am a I'm a jolly bearded toy maker. You really <laughs> have to play like in something like there has to be just like Santa like in college or something like you have to play him. Like, it would just be so amazing. Well, I mean, I do, I do, I do spend uh, a lot of time Santa adjacent, you know? Just like smoking with his friends. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking about, like, what if there was, like, this place where just, like, there's, like, tons of elves? I don't know. It's stupid. No, it's not. Because you're exactly what you're doing is you're setting, <laughs> you're setting up this idea for this, well, what world, where does this, this, Oh, I was just mean. I just thought it'd be funny if your character was self-conscious. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. It's like, what if he was too self-conscious to build like the North Pole? But I would say, you know, like like you come up with an idea for the character or voice and mannerisms and yes and no, and you kind of go there, and then it can change. It can change. Sometimes it's nice to have a talisman, like a jacket or a hairstyle or a you know, a voice or some something transformative, and it's fun too because. There's a certain amount of truth you're tied to when you're doing stand-up or performing or storytelling as yourself. Yeah. But when you're someone else, like you can say and do things, and you can figure out a lot of things. And it's from a different perspective. Yeah. Which is so cool. So, what kind of advice would you give to someone who, you know, maybe a stand-up comedian that wants to try doing character but doesn't even know where to start? Well, I mean, there are places. I mean, you, I, I, well. I would say go see character-based comedy is one of the best things, you know. Seek it out. Uh, drag is total character-based comedy. Also, professional wrestling, man. Uh, that is, uh, and Seattle here has an amazing indie wrestling scene. And one of the things that I have been doing lately that is terrifying is I've been doing wrestling commentary, and which is so different than anything I have done. Wow. I've done it four times, and, you know, it's Dan three Peralt hours. Dan Peralt did that as well. What? Dan, my first interviewer, Dan Peralt, he also, I think, did some professional wrestling announcing. It is fantastic, and it is cool. And you look at, and these guys are storytellers. They are, they're wearing costumes. They're, 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 they're uh, verbally and non-verbally establishing character. Um, you know, so seek out other character-based stuff. Uh, one of my favorite books, and I think it's just about comedy, is Have a Nice Day by Mick Foley, who was the wrestler of mankind and who still does a lot of stuff. It's about a guy that always wanted to be a wrestler, right? And so he, 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 he would drive 100 miles to go to wrestling school. He made a lot of personal sacrifices. He was a road dog forever. And... He was most famous famous for the matches he lost than the ones he won, you know? King of the Japanese death match. He was uh he was thrown through a cage by the Undertaker. 
You know, he broke all those bones, and it was that those failures that made him beautiful. That's a great book. It's also he's an extremely nice and polite guy. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Don't be. It's right now. So many people are being taken. There for a while, one of the most discouraging things about stand up seemed that there was that being an asshole was a path to success. I think it was a false path because there's a lot of horrible people who are being taken down right now, right? Yeah. So be nice, like mankind, the king of the Japanese death match. That's crazy. That's so cool. Um, but seek, yeah, seek out stuff, um, and then also seek out spaces where you can do characters. When I first started stand up, uh, people would do characters at open mics, but then you had those five minute spots, right? able to establish and I think there are some open mics in town that would definitely work then there's always going to be some weird space like my show the magic hat yeah or there's variety shows in every town that you can go go up and be a character that's true a lot of You're people were just intimidated like I remember I did my dr. magic character at Jai Tai mm-hmm. and like I've done it before and it does well I did well but um, afterwards, someone came up to me who's like respecting the scene, and was like, "Oh, that was really interesting. Um, why'd you do that up there?" And I'm like, "Uh, what? I was just this is the character is like," and she's like, "Well, I found that actually like pretty disrespectful to um, stand up comedy." <laughs> I was like, uh, I, "I I'm gonna ask you who that is, off mic, but I think that is." dumb <laughs> so yeah i mean like i don't think she realized that it's like a character that i've done like a lot and stuff and like maybe she didn't really know what i was doing yeah but it was yeah well, yeah we don't have to dive into it i don't want to no I, i'm anything. just curious but it was just it was that it was that kind of um reaction and i, I really like this person but yeah. um because that was just the first reaction to that character so that kind of dissuaded me from, from wanting to do huh. that more at Mike's. So that's why I made a show. There we go. Well, that's a perfect response to that. If something doesn't, you know, create your space. Create your space, I think, is a big deal. I think it's awesome. And startup, it's, it's blue ocean strategy. Yeah. It's this, there's this concept of when, like, to compete against other products, uh, say there's, like, five attributes for, okay, an example is, like, wine, right? So say there's a couple of attributes of wine that are, uh, different wines compete against. So, so it might be like age, the uh, like vineyard, how prestigious it is, and I don't know. Let's say those are the two things because I can't. I don't know anything about wine. Um, basically, the company. Um, this is such a random tangent. The company uh, Yellowtail, uh, that like cool yes. little kangaroo wine. They're like, okay, well, okay, another attribute was like price and affordability. And there's like just different, each wine is on like, each uh, attribute is on just like different levels. And yeah. this is how they're competing. But Yelltail's like, oh, what if we made a new attribute entirely, which is just, let's make it like a cool wine that's fun. So like they can bring the cost down, they can bring the quality of the vineyard down. And like what they did was, they said, let's make a wine that's branded towards people that just want to like, like younger people that don't know anything about wine and like don't even know how to pick wine. 
so they reduced the selections and then just advertised it as like a cool sociable wine and then they created this new sort of area where it's like now it's like people are looking at fun wine that was kind of no i know i remember yellowtail back when i used to drink it was right yeah and it was also very accessible because it was at the end in caps essentially but yeah yeah i mean create a space i mean people will tell you so i mean to go back you did doctor magic was it at an open mic yeah so you know and there's some people that make a decision of what happens at open mics but you i guess you open mic successfully you saw what worked and what didn't yeah and, but I don't know. It was a weird experience. It is. It well. It is. I was. I was kind of just offended because I'm like, I like this character, and I know it's funny, so I don't really care about. Well, that is. I mean, I think the best advice that you can give anybody is the only advice you're going to get from someone is how to be like them, or what they're into. You know, exactly. I always think about that. You always have to make the decision. And sometimes the advice they gave you give you may be really good for them, but not necessarily. That's for so you. true. I always think about that, and I really I'm a firm believer. I actually really like Tony Robbins. That's why I, yeah. I impersonate him. Well, I I think he's kind of hilarious, and it's so funny to exaggerate him because he's kind of ridiculous. But he says a lot of really cool things, and one of his big points is modeling, and not being a model, but modeling after people that do what you want to do and yes. are like who you want to be. And it's so often that people will just give advice and people, I feel like a lot of people will blindly take other people's advice, yeah. maybe just by virtue of them being older. So they'll, you know, they've, they have experience and I'll have friends or parents say things that I just like, don't, I like, maybe I look at them. I'm like, I don't want to be like them. So why would I listen to that? For example, like my ears just like pop. Okay, but um, for example, something that a lot of people will say is, "Oh man, like how are you gonna do comedy after college? Like, it's so hard. You know, you're gonna be in that like nine to five grind. Everyone I know, just like after work, they kind of they just come home and they cook. They don't even have time to go to the gym, and then they just kind of relax and go to bed and do the same thing. But like, that's what that that those people do. Yeah, and that maybe is like that." limiting belief that they self-imposed and they're trying to justify why they don't do other things well, but you could just do other things and well, not listen to that well sometimes things are done a certain way because that's the way they're done not necessarily <laughs> because that's the best way to do it you know yeah and maybe that's because for us we were like back when we started doing shows outside a comedy club it felt like we were breaking some law and some people felt that we were being disrespectful to comedy to the bookers and promoters but they weren't putting us up and you know what you also this this could have very easily turned into a rant where i could have complained about shitty shows and or or some people are doing things that i'm not like you know what free shows do to the thing but you know it's people are learning and creating mistakes the only way you're going to really survive is to be the best thing you can be, right? And to do that, you have to fuck up a lot and then get yeah. there eventually. Um, and then also be like, 
better. Be better. So, you know, if there's other shows that are going on and they're doing stuff you don't like, um, one of the ways to change that is to have your show be better. Do it the way you think it should be done. And maybe if you're right, you will win. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what winning is, but I mean, I made $2 on Monday, but yeah. You all, uh, but though, I mean, I will, I will, I, I, I will make much more than that, you know, this week on other stuff. But I think it's really cool that you just kind of did things your way and didn't buy into like the fixed structure of things. And as you even said, like the ladder was corroding. I, I think, you know, it's too many people just blindly accept that there is this cis, like social hierarchy, this invisible system that's at work and you have well, to buy into it, but you can just by making your own space or... Yeah, I mean, that is you one way it. to do it. Um, but, you know, I don't drive. So uh, a lot of me going to other markets has been festivals by either getting invited to or applying to festivals. Also, having to get to the point where if somebody wants to book me, uh, they are willing to kind of factor in transportation to that. What that means, though, I, I never had the chance to... And there are, I've had some great times where I've featured for some fantastic headliners, but I've had to be at the point where that headliner has been okay with driving me to open for them, you know? Yeah. Where uh, I know a lot of... Yeah, you know, and I missed out on certain certain experiences, and also, I uh, I really have to factor that in and what 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 gigs I get, um, and that is limiting, and that is also one of the reasons why I've created my own space. So I figure out ways to to do stuff in urban areas or places near airports, or or if I'm going to do weird out of town stuff, you know, I have to be creative to get there. And then if I'm going to be out in the wilderness, might as well do some more stuff, you know, you make it work. You I got, mean, you got to make it work that way. I I'm mean, sure it, people tell you that, how are you going to headline if you can't drive? I'm sure people like, well, you just, I mean, say stuff like that. And oh, yeah. I definitely hear stuff like that, but like that might be true for you and it might be true for other people, but you yeah. can actually just make that. You can just find out ways if you want to do stuff. You got to make it happen, and and you know, and then you also have to realize. I think we all have kind of like a view of what it's going to be like, and I don't think it ever is that way. Because I'll tell you, I totally thought that when I got on TV, that was going to be it. That was going to be it. I will have made it. Or when I got into NACA, or you know, any of that stuff. Uh, but then it just it opens up just a new a new set of problems and goals and dreams. And yeah, it's heartaches. never true. Everyone's just yearning to be yeah. not in the present. Uh, Dave Ross, who's a real real great writer, comedian, and and he's done some cool shows and put together cool albums. And did you know Dave Ross when you were out there? I know of him. He's really successful. I don't. Know he him. posted something a few years ago where somebody asked him, like, hey, man, when does it get easy? And he was like, never. He's like, it's always hard. He's like, I've been able to meet my my heroes, and they're having a hard time. Like, you're always going to have a hard time. And then you die. <laughs> yeah. I 
feel like it's how hard you. Yeah. It, it, it comes to a point where I mean, I mean, it doesn't even have to come to a point. I think I mean my philosophy is, you gotta like figure out how to be okay with yourself. Yeah. Within yourself first, because the attitude of always I like to make myself really busy, and like constantly be doing things towards comedy, and sometimes I'll be unhappy doing that, but I realize. That's never gonna change. I'm gonna keep doing this. It might be at different levels. Find find a way to make change. it fun, though. Like you want it to be fun. You want it to be worthwhile. You want to figure out. So for me, like my booking policy is, um, you know, I have a rate in my mind of what what I want, what I need to be able to do shows, divided by how much I love you. Like that is it. Like so. That's so awesome. <laughs> you know. So there are people that I will totally go and, and do something for a sandwich for. But there could be a payoff for it. Um, so tomorrow I'm actually uh, doing a workshop at a place called Plymouth Housing, which is a transitional uh, organization to, to get people off the streets or, or to get people life skills. So drug addicts, people with HIV, uh, you know, and give them a permanent house, a place to stay. Wow. And there are, it, it's a wonderful organization. And last month, the writer Hannah Brooks Olson and I did did a storytelling and comedy workshop. And uh, and we thought it was going to be just a one-off. And all these great people came, and all these wonderful stories happened. And when the pizza came, they didn't want to stop the class, and now it's a monthly thing. Wow, and that is, that's amazing. That's something I'm doing free, and I, I, so I'm very excited about it. I, I'm very excited. I have a, it brings you joy, yeah. so it's worth. And then I'm gonna have time. to wrestle, or ho- go and and hustle and go, go do the the stand up show that that will help pay my rent. You know, what what's your day to day like comedy life like now? Because it seems like it's just so busy. And how do you balance? Uh, how do you find a balance? Busy. Well, I'm trying to figure that out because I mean, the, trying to, you know, I think I'm getting back to as busy as I was before I stopped being able to get out of bed. Um, and so I'll wake up, and I'll see what immediate fires do I have to put out, what emails do I have to send out. I'll walk my dog, uh, my beautiful daughter Donna. Uh, and. You know, you kind of how do I pre- prepare for the show or the thing I have to do? And you, of course, you're doing meetings and you're collaborating on projects and and, and trying to be a human being. What uh, kind of projects do you work on that aren't stand up and shows? Well, I mean, a lot of it is shows. Yeah. You know, uh, so you know, my website. Uh, I've been working on it for a year with a uh, with a guy who also has PTSD, um, <laughs> and we. But he kind of gets me. He's this talented uh, photographer, designer. Um, you know, I worked on that. Uh, but, you know, like, I probably put in 10 to 20 hours on Weird and Awesome. You know, I put a, a couple hours a week on Joke Tellers, a couple hours on, on Magic Hat, and then, you know, this these Botnik Studios, the guy who started ClickHole, doing this algorithmic comedy uh, machine generated stuff and so we sat down and we 
created the Mitch Hedborg thing for one of his shows. That's so cool. And sometimes you have, have you know, and, and also too, it's like I try to d- dedicate a certain amount of like having actual human friends, having people in my life that I don't talk about comedy with, and like one of those things too is is because I produce a show with my wife, like we have to have non-show, non. Yeah. Non-business moments. How do you um, like allocate time for just having friends and going out, especially when you're doing comedy well, almost every night? Pass. I have movie pass. So if I, there's people I go to movies with during the day. Uh, I, I need to walk a certain amount of time. You know, I try to walk five to eight miles. So sometimes I take, go walks with people. Uh, I, this will probably be the last thing. Uh, I hang out at a dress shop called the pretty parlor that mm. is ran by a bunch of kind of huge fixtures in the burlesque scene but uh, I guess it's where I bought my wedding suit and somehow the owner Anna Banana and I have been friends for a long time she's friends with That's Derek so, Sheen so funny. and she would come to shows sometimes and I mean after my cat died I'd go in my wife and I would go in and, and hug her shop cat and then as her cat uh his health failed and he died we became a support system for her and then uh started there was a a, there's a chair at the pretty parlor which is the one place outside of my house that Donna, my elderly chihuahua, will sit Your in. Your elderly let, chihuahua. That's the funniest she, phrase. I've she will let people time. pet her in that shop. Do you have multiple chihuahuas? Just one. But she's an <laughs> yeah. elderly. She's, I, I need to establish. She's, she's 12 years old. She's an old wow. lady. And so, so back when I lived in that part of the neighborhood, every day I would go to that shop and Donna would sit in my lap. And as we were trying to socialize her, and these, these fantastic women would come and talk to us and pet her. And then sometimes, if I needed, they became her dog moms, her dog mothers, if you will. Uh, and, and we became this community. And then also talking to these women, uh, Ruby Mimosa and the one and only Inga, uh, are two of Seattle's best burlesque dancers. And they are great professional peers for me because they, they, they teach, they, they travel. Uh, you'd be surprised how much burlesque issues translate into stand-up issues. And they are great stand-up boards. Also, they exist out of my scene. I think that's so cool to have peers outside of your scene, but you relate to them fundamentally. And you can talk to them about not stand-up, but just still relate. Yeah, and so we complain. And in fact... Ruby and I have the same doctor, too, so we complain about our doctor, um, who is wonderful, uh, <laughs> if, if she's listening to this. Um, but she used to be a puppeteer, so I think that's why we get along, my doctor. But um, that space, finding that space, in fact, I was at the pretty parlor today. Um, I, brought, I brought Donna by there. It's about a mile from our place, so we only go there once or twice a week. But I also... Because the coffee shop where I write, I haven't found one in my neighborhood yet. And I just really like that place, Analog Coffee. So I just, 
uh, I still go there, and then I end up popping into that dress shop. So I am a 40-year-old man who hangs out at his dress shop. It really it did need that much such... setup to make it not creepy. You really need, you like to, it, it deserves 15 minutes of like. Well, well so, so last year on my birthday, <laughs> just to clarify that you're not creepy. they had a sweater in there that I really liked, like a Mr. Rogers sweater. That I'm like, I'm going to buy that for my birthday, right? This will be my, my, my treat. And so I go in there, and the sweater is gone. And I'm like, oh, somebody bought it. And they were like, come back. Come back later, bring Donna. Like, they were a little insistent about it, you know. And I, come, I, I bring Donna back. And they're like, sit, sit on the, you know, sit on the chair with Donna. And then there's a shop dog there, Lucy. And Lucy comes out wearing a little party hat, right? And they sing me happy birthday and give me the sweater. But Lucy sings along this dog saying happy birthday to me what in a dress shop and that is my life and i think a big part of it is 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 just i have been able i i I look at you know there's people i started with who are on tv and very successful and i think that is fantastic and i look at some of the opportunities and i look at some of the maybe the bridges that have been burnt for me uh either by myself or by other people or all of that and I wonder like a lot of the could in what if I made different decisions and advanced the last comic what if I I did did certain things in certain auditions or or what if I moved to New York when I had the opportunity but then I think about like I know a dog that sings happy birthday that's like way cool and that yeah I don't know I mean I think there's probably other dogs out there but I know one and the, this dog sang happy birthday to me. That's so awesome. Do you have any plan? Do you think you're going to move to New York or L.A.? I would move if there was a reason. And, you know, there have been a few reasons. Uh, it almost happened. Kate almost got a job. Uh, has almost gotten jobs in various cities. But I feel like the comedy scene is so huge. I know enough people in different cities. I can't think... I can't see myself moving somewhere and not knowing people. And New York and L.A. has almost happened quite a few times. But I think at this point I would need a reason to. I wouldn't just go there to make it. I'd probably have to have an established thing, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but You have you so know, much established. Yeah, I mean, there are, but it would... I also don't think you can actually ever really leave anywhere or say goodbye because the way the Internet works... And then, you know, if there's an airport near that city, like it's ex- it's pretty fairly accessible. So yeah, and there's 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 some real cool indie stuff happening everywhere. That's true. So okay, so I know it's crazy late. You um, got you got how many more? You got one, one more. One. Because oh, okay. I can't do it justice without asking you about last comic standing oh okay <laughs> so i just want to know what your experience was like on that show um so i got the audition uh because of parlor live because uh they were real real great and they recommended me as as there were certain people got invites to audition uh on the live club night and then 
the club got to choose a handful of people and they chose me and I went up and I had a set planned and I had two sets planned. Uh, I forgot a set. I ended up doing my B set and it felt like one of the greatest stand-up shows, stand-up sets I've ever had. Just everything fit and it was fun and it felt good enough that I'm like even, yeah, I'm not going to make it because there were so many great comics on there. But I got to have a killer set in front of 400 people, which is always nice. And I'm happy. And then I got the call the next day. And it felt unreal. And then I got to go and audition. And that set I was was weird. It was at the John Lovitz Comedy Club. Like, that had just closed down, but they didn't tell anybody. In, like, Universal... The, oh, like the Universal the Walk mall, thing? The Universal Walk right there. And so, and it was just me in a dark room with 10 people and Wanda Sykes in the corner. And they oh, were asking me questions, and then I did my stand-up, and they were like, okay, you can go. And then I immediately went on a plane and went back. And the Jeez. comics, the, the Seattle comics that went out, they all deserve to get on. Gabriel Rutledge, man, uh, El Sanchez, all of those folks should have, you know. Uh, but then I got the invite, and they're like, you know, but at that point, they're like, we, uh, we're we going to send you out, but we'd rather you not tell anybody, right? Like, tell your wife. You, you can tell, like, two people. And Wait, then this is after you? After, after I, so I did the, I, I passed the local audition. Then I did the West Coast audition. So what they did is, so they saw like a thousand or so people in various clubs and tape submissions. Mm-hmm. And then they whittled that down to 200 where they saw 100 on the East Coast and 100 on the West Coast. That was the West Coast audition. Uh, I got invited to be on the TV show, and I got a call uh, informing me that the show was on permanent hiatus. It was right after the Cosby scandal broke. Really? And I think it was because NBC had planned to do a Cosby show, a new Cosby show, and I think maybe he was even going to be a special judge or something. On And so they had to retool their comedy approach. And then it was like, okay, it was done. And I remember I was, it was 20 minutes before I was supposed to get on a plane to go to New York. And I was heading to go to New York for two weeks and do all these great shows. And I knew I'd have this secret knowledge of, of that I was going to be on TV in the, in, in the summer. And, and then that was taken away from me. Wait, but weren't you on? And then. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I was very... I should just let you go. Three weeks later, I got a call from someone I didn't recognize. It was like, uh, expect an email. Uh, They're starting the show again, and we're pretty sure we're going to invite you again. Wow. And I got an email telling me to expect a call. And I got a call. And I said, hey, we're going to be sending out contract soon and then I was talking to people about and then uh, Amy Miller who did really well she's like yeah isn't that contract weird and we knew and I'm like I didn't get the contract and so I called 
And I'm like, hey. And she's like, oh. And they had my address wrong. Oh and then God. and then they FedExed, and I got this 70-page contract, and I wasn't able to tell anybody. And that is when I, you know, I had asked for this kind of vague period of time. At I told my boss about this TV thing at the Fry Art Museum, and then it was like, you know, and it felt like it was time to quit. And so that's I quit my job uh, and focused, and I went out there and. Roseanne yelled at me, and Norm MacDonald stood up for me and said some real nice things, and none of that made it to TV. Just 15 seconds, just one joke. Me saying how beautiful my wife is, and that's I got to tell 6 million people that my wife was beautiful. I was also kind of, I was a nice guy, and I sort of, I think, became friends with, with like, the B-roll. B, so I'm in a lot of behind, the first four episodes, I'm, in the background in a lot they i think some somebody liked me and edited me in and and the wardrobe was cool and everything was real great and there's people that i was in that room with that i'm still really good friends with like andy erickson i love her so much and she got in the top five it was a great experience but i forgot about it once that check came you know six weeks after i did it i kind of forgot about it and then in June, I got an email with all these promotional materials that let me know I was going to be on the show. And then I could announce, and I made the announcement. And for a summer, I was getting interviewed by the paper and on radio shows. And I knew, though. <laughs> I was like, I bet you won. I bet you won. Wait, you already, you already knew? Oh, yeah, I, I totally knew because I had, I had filmed... And gotten voted off by the judges, like so. So I carried it, yeah. For, for and everyone's like, and you're promoting it, and like and all I can say you. is tune in. And so I'm having viewing parties at the Elks Lodge, and I'm just, and then, and then it's over. But you knew. I knew. That's like some Black Mirror stuff. Yeah, but then that helped me get into NACA and do some, you know, and it was, and you know, and and. I don't know if they'll ever do the show again because they've taken years off too. And Wanda Sykes was very kind to me and Paige Hurwitz was awesome and all the comics I met and if, you know, and, and they asked me if, if we do it again, would you come back? And, you know, I hope to run into Norm MacDonald and, and, and shake his hand for what he said to me. Uh, what did he say? Do you remember? He he just he really he he said I was fucking beautiful, and then he went on Twitter and he defended me on Twitter, and that, I saw that. that opened a lot of doors. So, so you know, it was it was I don't know, it fucked with my head. It oh, it was it was rough because I was kind of I I was thinking like, what would have happened if I won, right? But I you know, I didn't. But I kind of did, you know. That, uh, I mean, that's probably why you're talking to me now. Is I do a lot of real cool things. Um, maybe the most boring thing I did was tell a 15-second joke about my wife on, on NBC. But it's because of that kind of mundane thing that light has been shed on maybe the weird puppet stuff I do. That's awesome. So... Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, well, every Monday, I'm in the basement of the Rendezvous for the Magic Hat. 
which has been described by Seattle Times as more of a cult than a comedy show. Uh, Sugar Plum Gary is probably coming to Studio Current, which is an art space underneath Annex Theater in Capitol Hill uh, this July uh, for a weekend of weird shows because Christmas is every day for him. Every first Sunday of the month, I am at uh, Annex Theater for Weird and Awesome with Emma Montgomery. The one in June will also be my 40th anniversary for as a human being, my 40th <laughs> birthday, I guess. Um, and then every Wednesday right now at Joke Teller's Union um, at the Clock Out Lounge at Beacon Hill, which is for stand-up. I am extremely bookable uh, if you are not an asshole. And my Instagram is real dumb. Uh, it's drawings and stuff at uh, Emma Montgomery. I guess, I don't know, I'm around, I do stuff, I like snacks, you paid me in snacks to be here. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, man, I appreciate yeah, you doing this, thanks. this is this was awesome. Cool. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to Working Comic Podcast, there's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things, so club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week and uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.